Welcome to Other You, a podcast where we discuss a decision in our lives that may or may not have had a long-lasting impact. We unpack some of the factors behind it and then explore in short story form what the other version of ourselves might have experienced around that time or shortly thereafter. I'm your host, Dee. Let's see where this story takes us. Welcome back to another episode of Other You. I'm your host, Dee. Today on the show, I have with me a prolific ghostwriter and author. Her most recent solo book, Bits of String Too Small to Save, is available now. She's a student of Vonnegut and David Foster Wallace. Currently, she's teaching short story writing and doing all kinds of writing work herself. Please welcome to the show, Ruby Prue. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Excellent. So, um... Looking on your website, I saw that you studied under Vonnegut and David Foster Wallace. Uh, what was that like? Um, well, uh, Vonnegut was very grouchy. <laughs> <laughs> As you would probably imagine. I don't know if you've never met him, but mm-hmm. um, but he did these big lecture classes. Yeah. And he would graph everything. He's really into um, graphing uh, the plots of stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he would always pull out like one of the, it was a big, it was chalkboards at the time. It was before whiteboards. Right. And um, he would like, he would be like, okay, so this story, we're going to look at the plot. And then he would like do a graph of the plot and tell you about like why it was good or bad mm-hmm. based on like how it went up and down and up and down. Right. And his, his main thing was always to say, Hamlet is the perfect story because at every point in the plot, you can't tell whether what's happening is good or bad. So it's actually a straight line across time hmm. where the conflict doesn't go up or down because you you have no idea if, if the ghost of his father is really a ghost or if it's an illusion. You have no idea right. if the uncle really killed the father or if Hamlet imagined that. You really have no idea if things are good or if things are bad or if he's done the right thing or if he's done the wrong thing. Right. So he was like that ambivalence and that like constant questioning is what makes a story good because it brings out all the inner conflict and all the like confusion about what, how life really is. Mm-hmm. His thing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, do you feel that you were super well equipped after attending his class or like learning under him, his lectures? Super well equipped. I mean, I was a kid at the time. Mm-hmm. I was like 18. So who's who's equipped for anything at that age? Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. I mean, did you, uh, d- okay. So did you, you remember that, that specific Hamlet lesson? Um, was there anything else that you took with you from uh, his lectures? Um, not off the top of my head. No. Okay. That's, that's the main thing that I remember is I do do a lot of plot graphing though. Mm. Uh, and like looking at it when I'm, I'm actually using that technique when I'm teaching, like I have some students right now that are trying to write uh, their memoirs and they just sort of, mo- they don't have any idea of how a story goes. And like, I have this one client who accidentally created a pretty good story arc, mm-hmm. you know, and she doesn't realize it. So she keeps trying to screw it up. Oh no. Bad story about her husband dying. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'll have to keep inserting like funny stories because it's too sad. And I'm like, no, it's a sad story. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to read a sad story, you shouldn't read this book because that's what kind of book it is. Right. And you're trying to screw up the perfectly good story arc that you've created where it starts somewhere and then it goes somewhere 
it goes somewhere else. The conflict is developed over time. Mm -hmm. It works. But she doesn't understand that she actually did create a good story arc and now she's trying to screw it up because she's afraid it's too sad. Mm -hmm. She's not understanding the idea of like, like stories are a thing that that are based on how the human mind works you mm -hmm. know that's why we tell stories the way that we do we don't just like start shouting out random sentences mm -hmm. we tell stories in order but we leave in the interesting stuff and we take out the boring stuff and right. it's all based on what people find interesting and boring and how the human mind works mm -hmm. so once you know how to create a story then you can help other people create a story. <laughs> but so I'm trying to explain it to her by showing her the graph. That's gotcha. like your story follows this graph. So it's fine. Stop screwing it up. <laughs> okay. Right on. I mean that's that's great that you have that tool in your toolbox. Belt. Sure. Or yeah. whatever the phrase is. Box or belt. I guess it depends if I'm on the go or I'm at my desk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Excellent. All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and get into your decision. What was that moment in your life where you made a choice or life made a choice for you and you can still see the impact of that event to this day? Okay. Well, see, I'm writing this book called Sleazy Peach and it's about this transition in my life that happened when I was about 12 years old. It wasn't a decision I made. It was a decision my parents made. Okay. But now that I'm much older than my parents were then, I look back on this and go, wow, that was a very bold decision, mm. you know, to solve problems that I, as a child, didn't even know existed. Okay. We found ourselves living in Muncie, Indiana, which is not where we were from. My parents had had this very exciting life living overseas and doing things that seemed important. And then they ended up in Muncie, Indiana, because um, my dad was involved in community development and ball canning corporation is centered there mm -hmm. and as i'm sure you know and um uh they were doing this thing where they were like um starting these these community canning kitchens where they teach people how to do how to do canning and trying and it was the 70s when this kind of thing was like very hot mm -hmm. living off the land and stuff and they were like trying to make it into a big thing where they were gonna like um make it into a chain and and like provide these community canning centers all over the country and it was a really cool idea and so my dad got a job working for them and it was like his first like job job after doing all this kind of uh, community development stuff overseas that he used to do so we and they paid well and you can live like a king in Muncie I'm sure not. so we had this big house we had plenty of money there was like all this land around big trees and but we didn't fit in there okay. because it's a kind of very, at least the neighborhood we moved into is like this sort of community where people are very religious in a closed minded way okay. where anybody who does anything unusual is looked at askance. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were oddballs from the beginning. Uh, and um so while on the one hand, and even like at school, I didn't fit in with the other kids. Like it was very clear we kind of didn't belong there, but mm -hmm. we were living like kings and queens. <laughs> so we were like, eh. you know, so what happened was over time, after we lived there for four years, my parents became very unhappy and my dad became very fat. He was, oh. he was um, 
he was unhappy for two reasons. I don't know why he was fat because we lived off of this giant garden that we had in our backyard. Like we were so mm. into the whole living off the land thing. Yeah. They were not hippies at all, but they, we were running this canning center. So we had this huge garden and we ate fresh organic food out of the garden every night. Like it was, it was health food on point. Wow. You know, my mom did nothing but read Adele Davis books like morning <laughs> to night. <laughs> and, and, but so my dad traveled a lot for his work, so I don't know what he was eating, but he became very fat. And also he was allergic to everything. Oh, no. We had this, we had this huge lot, well, like an acre and a half of lawn. It was huge to me as a little child. And, uh, and he had to mow it and he was terribly allergic to it. And there's all these beautiful flowers and things there. And he was allergic to all of them. So I didn't know this at the time, but he was miserable. Oh. And so um, what happened was, and also I think there was an ideological thing where my dad, my dad was a lot more of a creative person than I think he ever realized that he was. Mm -hmm. And he realized that what he wanted to do was be an entrepreneur in something creative. So my parents bought this cabinet making business in Tucson okay. and they moved us, us to Tucson, Arizona. And the main reason we moved there was because my mom had a best friend from childhood who owned a horse ranch in Tucson and she really wanted to go and live near her. Her name was Linda. And so my mom was like gunning for the whole moving to Tucson. We were looking at different places where we could move. And so we ended up moving to Tucson and getting this cabinet making business. Hmm. And that led to a whole different lifestyle that changed oh. my life forever. Okay. So the story that I'm telling you is about what if I had stayed, what if the family had stayed in Indiana? Right. Versus moving to Tucson, you know? Right. So you mentioned that the, the community was very closed minded religious. Uh, was your fam? I'm guessing it was a very, conservative christian community i guess I, we weren't really friends with people around <laughs> us like for instance here's something that happened okay we, um everybody in this neighborhood had an acre of lawn and nobody had fences up so it was like a huge meadow of lawn okay that the kids could run around and it was cool and everybody let their dogs run around okay um in the whole area and we all had dogs and stuff and there was this big great dane and so this great dane that belonged to like one family it bit my sister on the face oh my god yeah and m my mom uh i guess my dad was out of town so my mom goes up to the family and is like okay <laughs> my sister is like getting stitches and uh they're like you have to keep your dog quarantined to make sure it's not rabid like that's what happens when a dog bites somebody mm -hmm. you know and the woman was like and these were I don't mean to say anything bad about religious people because there's a lot of great religious people, but these were not the great kind. Okay. They were like, this woman was like, oh, I can't do, I can't control the dog. Only my husband can control the dog and he controls the family and he tells us all what to do and he refuses to put the dog in a cage. They literally refuse to quarantine their dog. What? Because it was all up to the husband and the husband wouldn't do it because of something about God. I don't know. It was really weird. Um, but mm. there were a lot of weird people like that. And especially women who were just like utterly disempowered in their lives. Sure. And uh, it was disturbing, you know? 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. So from 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 all of my years in um, conservative Christianity, uh, that it sounds like it falls in line with the notion that the man is the head of the home, right? Yeah. And his authority is supreme in the home. Yeah. Uh, so that 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 tracks with the teachings of conservative Christendom. Um, like even to the point of, I cannot remember this dude's name, but as far as I'm concerned, he's a psychopath because he was describing the authority of the man in the house. And if the woman steps out of line, it's okay to give her a little slap if she needs it. <laughs> exactly. Those are the kind of people I'm talking about. And it's like, wait, what, do, you're advocating for domestic violence in the name of Jesus, bro. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Along with that is supposed to come this notion that the man is supposed to be like very prayerful and very like yeah. supposed to be good at being the head of the house. Right. Not just a selfish jerk. Right. You know? Who just like, oh, I have all the power. I'm He-Man. Yes. You know, that's kind of what it feels like to me, what happens more often than not. So your family did not subscribe to that family dynamic of the male head, absolute ruler of the home, and then everyone else was like subservient leading. Well, up my to mom that. was the absolute ruler of the home. There's no question <laughs> about that. Okay. But both my parents were raised in religious homes and neither of them took to it. And they decided before we were, me and my sisters were even born, mm -hmm. they were not going to raise us in any religion and just let us choose our own path and okay. also really not, not really make a big deal out of it like just that was not neither of them have a spiritual bone in their bodies and they just okay. didn't really want to they just didn't care about it they're just okay. like you know do your own thing when you're an adult mm -hmm. did you so your your last name of peru is that your born name or uh, a married last name I'm, that's my middle name actually oh that's your middle name okay I, essentially i'm asking you did you grow up in an, an in a latin household and then well no, but I was born in Peru. Okay, so you were born in Peru. Yeah. My okay. dad was the director of the Peace Corps in Peru when I was born. Oh. So, um, like, in the late 60s, when he may have been the very first director of the Peace Corps in Peru. Maybe not the first one. I don't really know. But that was what they used to do, like, community development in South America. It was, like, the Kennedy years when it was, mm. like, you know, everything was about, like, the youth and bringing, uniting the youth of America and South America and like really promoting relationship between North America and South America. That okay. was like a really big thing that my parents were really into. Gotcha. Okay. Alrighty. And then what was, what, is there any, did you grow up with any of the influence of like a traditional Latin American home as a result of having spent time in um, Peru? Did your, did your family adopt any of that? I don't think so, no? except my mom was really good at cooking, like, international meals. Mm. We See, one thing that happened, uh, like, my parents had a lot of great stories about before we were born and when we were little, when living in South America and doing all these, like, exciting things they used to do. And they used to tell us these stories all the time, like, especially at the dinner table, mm -hmm. you know. And it may be why I um, grew up to be, like, a storyteller and a, an author, because um, stories was always, like, a really big part of how we bonded as a family. The other thing that used to happen in Muncie was the 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 kids from school would like invite you for a sleepover, mm -hmm. like hey, you know, like little kids do. But it was a trick to get you to go to church with them the next morning. Wow. Yeah. So that and one time, 
um, I got tricked into that yet again, a sleepover, like, oh, time to go to church. And I'm like, oh, brother, <laughs> like, I'm not allowed. I literally am not allowed to go to church, but I mean, I'm also not allowed to be rude. So sure. I guess I'll go. Okay. So I go and they have, and it is secretly, it is like um, the day that all the kids are supposed to bring in the new recruit kids. Oh. <laughs> they planned this out. Wow. Like it was a fully planned out thing with these born agains. I don't know what it was. And it was like this huge room and they were giving this big lecture. Okay. And all these kids, the way I remember it, just this fast, like a high school auditorium, like a big room. And all these kids were there and they said, now I want everybody to shut your eyes. And I shut my eyes and they were like, raise your hand if you want to give your soul to Jesus. Honestly, I didn't even know what that meant, but I was like, just be polite and sit there and wait until it's over. Mm -hmm. You know, so I just sat there with my hands in my lap, waiting for the whole thing to be over. And the guy upstairs up there kept going like, some of you still have it. And I'm just like, I can't possibly be the only one. Uh -huh. And I'm just sitting there waiting for it to be over. And then eventually he gives up and he's like, okay, you can open your eyes. And my friend turns to me and she goes, you didn't raise your hand. Apparently the I was the one holding up the whole operation. <laughs> it was just you. It was you. Oh my God. It was me. I was the only one oh that God. was like, I don't even know what you're talking about <laughs> or why I would want to do that. Wow. My sister got pulled into it though. My older sister got pulled in and she decided she was a born again Christian at like a very young age. Oh wow. And okay. my mom just like, um, put up with it like she just powered through it didn't say anything until mm. she went out of that phase and it just sort of gradually faded away mm. wow okay wow so in in my brain i'm watching this sort of thing happen and everyone like all of the kids are staring at you you're sitting in the center of the room head bowed eyes closed hands in your lap and everyone's just waiting tapping their fingers on their thighs as this dude is screaming, all of them like, looking at me apparently yeah, all of them just watching open. you anxiously waiting for you to finally raise your hand so they can go get lunch or something right um, and i'm just like sighing like when will this torture be over uh, all right what was you said it you you mentioned a sister uh you have your parents it, what was family life like did you have any other siblings um in the middle of three sisters okay one older two and one younger okay yeah and they factor into the book that i'm writing as well where what <laughs> i don't know like mom dad two sisters mm -hmm. and we were all really different and we are still today my older sister is only a year older than me but okay. she was like a big aggressive tomboy Ooh. and i was like a very shy socially awkward bookworm mm. you know yeah and then my younger sister was basically a baby huh okay the youngest like that where it was like the lax right parents tend to do that with the the, the baby like ah you're you're the baby whatever you can do whatever yeah. you want sort of it thing was, it was mom's little sidekick right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah how, how old were you at the time at the time of the move yeah 12 we lived there for four years so i moved there in first maybe five years Four years. I moved there somewhere in first grade, and I was there through fifth grade. Okay. All right. So, so we'll actually, say somewhere seven slash eight to twelve years old. Yeah, because I started first myself. grade in a different place where we lived, and then I think somewhere in the middle of first grade we moved. Something like that. I don't know. Okay. But uh, yeah, that mm -hmm. was. 
So <laughs> as a kid in Muncie, did you have any hobbies? Um, reading. I was a huge reader. Okay. Um, and, uh, other than that, like, no, no. <laughs> okay. I was really shy and did not have an easy time meeting other kids. Okay. That's like, I remember being in school and just being like, okay, this 1979, I believe Star Wars came out in 77 Correct. and Grease the movie came out in 79. And mm -hmm. these are the two seminal movies of my generation right. that will never be forgotten, at least by me, for the incredible impact they had upon children. Yeah. And so when Grease came out, it was like the girls went insane, me included. Mm -hmm. it, the music of Grease is so catchy. Yeah. And so just absolutely insanely, like, I have even, even like, I don't know, 10 years ago, I, I was like teaching in a school and I saw little girls the same age, fourth grade, dancing to the music of Grease the movie. Wow. There is something about that thing that is like an archetype for girls of that exact age. Hmm. I don't know why. It's sort of like um, kind of you're emerging into the world of romance and sexuality, but not very much. Like right. it's still very innocent. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so, but what happened was, <laughs> uh, despite not being religious, my parents were also like, they still acted almost like religious people. Like my mom didn't want me to see, I know this now because I've seen all the evidence. My okay. mom didn't want me to see the movie Grease because of the way it ends where Libby Newton-John turns into a slut. Yeah. Right. And so she didn't want me to know that she didn't want me to see it mm -hmm. because she knew that I would be like, you're evil. All the other girls have seen it. Like it is the only thing anyone ever talks. Yeah. About. Yeah. <laughs> That's how big a thing it is. Pop culture phenomenon. Yeah. Right. So I would be like every day I was like, when are we going to the movies? And she'd be like, oh, we'll go. We're so busy today. We'll go next week. And then by the time the it was like the weekend we were gonna go she was like oh it left town because you know movies used to leave town back then you couldn't yeah. see the or whatever and i was like are you kidding me are you kidding me <sighs> okay hurts. so finally it comes on tv now these right. are the days when when something comes on it's only on at the time that it's on right it's yeah. lost right so she's like okay you can watch it but you have to go to bed at your bedtime <laughs> So you got like 30 minutes of it before you had I to go got to, bed. to watch it like halfway through. And then I was like, are you serious? You're not letting me stay up to watch the ending. And she's like, nope, time to go to bed. I'm oh. like, is bedtime that important? This is so important. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> the only thing that matters. And she's like, nope, time to go to bed. So eventually, I don't know how old I was when I finally saw the ending. Mm. I was like, Oh, that's why she let me watch the beginning, but not the ending. She didn't uh, mind all the weird rapey stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> when John Travolta singing that song, like. Did they, well, did she put up a fight? Did she put up a fight? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. She didn't mind that. She minded where Olivia Newton-John turns into a slut at right. the end. <laughs> that's the part she didn't want me to see. Roof stoof right there. I know. Oh, my God. All right, so for all of you younger kids out there that happen to be listening to the show, the way that movies released before you were born was movies came out in theaters similar as they do now. They were in the theater for X number of weeks and then they were gone. 
And then you waited. And then, so when I was in the 90s, when I was a kid watching movies, uh, you waited for it to come out on VHS, right? So you waited for Blockbuster. And then after months of that, then it came out on TV. So if you didn't get it from Blockbuster, you could watch it on TV with commercials, but you couldn't miss. You had to hold your pee because there's no pause button. <laughs> right. <laughs> There I mean, was no watch it whenever you want to watch yeah, it. Yeah. So, which we is why, like, there are so many movies from that time in the 90s that I probably saw the second half of a hundred times just because it's on. It's like, oh, I haven't seen this part yet, but it's only 10 minutes before where I have seen it. I just don't know that yet. So, I'll watch that 10 minutes and I'm like, oh, I remember the rest of this. Dang, whatever. I'll yeah. finish it. You know, even now, I'm thrilled when I get to like rewind movies. I love it. Yeah. I'm like, Oh my god! I can watch this anytime I want, as yep. many times as I want. It's great, it's great, man. Oh, it's technology has made con- the consumption of of things like that so much easier. I mean, it just it's like when you were trying to catch your favorite song. How many songs did you try and record on you know a cassette tape off the radio? But oh yeah, right. But you didn't because like the jockey was they were talking. Right. <laughs> during the intro of the song it's like I just, we, yeah. just shut up you know you just keep hoping for that first note to come on you hit record and there's no talking and you're like okay i can get the whole song great you know but well, it must be interesting for you as an actor mm-hmm. to be to have grown up in a world where tv or like any type of movies or tv was a was a scarcity mm-hmm. you know watching your show is a scarcity oh yeah and now yeah. you know that whatever you're on people will watch it like any time of the day or not. They can get it on demand. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it, which is, which is funny because uh, the last television program that I was on, uh, people were asking, like, Oh, when does it, when is it? I'm like, Oh, it, it's going to air on this date. And they're like, Oh, when can I watch it on streaming? I'm like the, the next day, I guess you could watch it on Hulu. And then, <laughs> until they take it off hulu jerk just watch it the day of like no i don't watch commercials so i'm just gonna i'll catch it on on streaming right so yeah that's (laughs) oh man it takes away the pageantry though there was always a sense of it being an event oh oh yeah absolutely and now it's like not an event anymore yeah i mean like people had their show times like oh i'm sorry i can't hang out with you on thursday my show (laughs) show. is on You know, and I, I can't miss my show. I got my show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So the the transformative powers of Greece aside, what music were you into between 8 and 12? You spent a lot of time reading books. Did you also well, listen okay. to music or this get into that? sounds really sad and pathetic, but my family was very not into music. The only music we had was music we just incidentally happened to have. And here are the weird things that we had. One, my dad had a collection of 45s that were mostly Elvis. Oh. In this little, that were from his childhood in this little box. And he gave them to us kids. And we had a little record player. And we used to play these 45s and dance around to them. Nice. Okay. Which was old fashioned even for the 70s. This is like something from the 50s. Mm We had the album Free to Be You and Me. Are you aware of that? Um, Way before your time. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm sure if I listen to a few songs, I could probably be like, oh, okay, I recognize it. It was, okay, Free to Be You and Me 
was this so 70s thing that was all about like empowering young girls and like progressive thought mm -hmm. and like um there was a song called it's all right to cry that's Ooh. the one i remember the most it's all right to cry and it's like this little song about how you know even though you're a little boy it's okay to cry and it's like all about just like all the new thoughts about society that were coming out in the 60s and 70s you know yeah permission <laughs> so to be that emotional was very creatures i'm into it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um and my parents had, this is the weirdest part. My parents had very little music, but they had some uh, like bootleg tapes of Broadway shows. Oh. And and they, but they were shows from the 60s and 70s. So one of them was Hair. <gasps> I don't know if you're familiar with Hair. Yeah. But Scandalous. there are such dirty songs on that album. Yeah. <laughs> They're all dirty. It's yeah. just all dirty songs from top to bottom and i memorized all of them but i didn't know they were dirty uh okay <laughs> so i would just go around the house singing these incredibly dirty songs oh my gosh that's great and like nobody like nobody else was there so my and my mom told me later like okay i'm like i could tell her not to sing them but i have I have left this cassette around the house mm -hmm. unthinkingly so that wouldn't be very nice and so what she did, she just never told me they were dirty songs. And plus I was pronouncing everything wrong. Okay. So I I wasn't actually singing a dirty song properly. In fact, if you heard me singing it, you would just think it was like completely different. Just making song. up your own song. Okay. Like, well, I would tell you, but then I would have to say some dirty things on the show, which you probably don't want me to. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> like, Appreciate the discretion. The, the first few words of one of the things sounded to me like suddenly Horatio and that those were not the two words ah. <laughs> and it went on and on it was like a song of dirty words like the only words in the song was like a list of dirty words yeah. oh and gosh. I just like thought they were all totally different words mm -hmm. I, and I would just sing them all wrong and she was like yeah just let you sing it I just didn't say anything that's great <laughs> I mean that's that's a perfect example of how we listen to music anyway right because like there's that um hold, hold me closer tiny dancer yeah right that's how many people sing it hold me closer tony danza <laughs> you know so i get it that makes total sense but at, and with your your parents sound super super interesting with like this um uh, pursuit of like progressive parenting where they let you kids, you know, do things, but they still have like a conservative streak where they want to protect you from certain things. And in this case, she's just like, ah, whatever, just let her do it. Just yeah. let her sing this dumb song. That is not the real thing, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Okay. <laughs> if I was purposely saying dirty words, I've been in very bad trouble. Right. Yeah. But it was very clear that I was not doing anything on purpose. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, What was... What was your typical routine like? So you mentioned being shy and not um, being very outgoing when it comes to making friends and stuff. So I imagine it was typical, go to school, come home and just do homework and read and then just hang out in, in the house or like on the ground, quote unquote, on the grounds, like in the grass around the house. What was what was a typical routine for you at that time? Yeah, well, I mean, we had all these uh, like, OK. Muncie has really insane winters, especially in the 70s. There were these famous blizzards mm -hmm. in those years. And um, 
So when it was winter time, first of all, we had to catch the school bus to go to school, mm-hmm. which was, um, and it's funny to me now because now a lot of parents drive their kids to school, even when the, the state provides a school bus. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like very into not driving us to school. She was like, I got stuff to do. And the state yeah. provides a school bus. So go out there and wait for the school bus. Nice. So, and it was like torture. We'd have to go out there and it was freezing cold. Like half the year, you live in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Half the year is freezing cold. So you're bundled up to every inch of skin is covered. And you go out and you're waiting in the neighbor's driveway. That's where all the kids would gather. Mm-hmm. And we would wait forever. The school bus was never on time. No, and you'd be waiting in the freezing cold every morning. It was horrible. We would all just beg our mom to drive us. And she'd be like, no way. In fact, if we ever missed the bus, this is what she would do. She would put us in the, in the car. She would chase the bus. And then she would pull over in front of the bus mm-hmm. and make us get out and get on the bus. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> to the great humiliation of ourselves and all our friends like like laughing and jeering at oh us. Oh my gosh. That's great. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> but we would make up these games. Like you're just bored out of your mind waiting yeah. for the bus every morning. So we would like make up these games, these like ridiculous games you can just play in a driveway. One of them was called Shadow Tag, where it's like the shadows were really long early mm-hmm. in the morning. And you had to like step on the other person's shadow, which seems very easy to do. But you would like run around, try to manipulate your shadow so that it wouldn't be. So you could dodge it. <laughs> yeah. So that people couldn't step on your shadow. It's nice. actually a rather clever game. I like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then after school, sometimes it was like snow forts, like hard, like when it was snowing, there was so much snow and we yeah. would build these snow forts of unbelievable, just like size. Mm-hmm and like snowmen and snow just like there's so much snow it was just like this raw material from god just gotcha. right in your hands like you could build anything with it okay so you would you would in the when it was colder and snowy you spent a lot of time outside but otherwise you were inside reading mostly i guess so okay you know i would wander around a lot. i didn't make friends that well mm-hmm. um that's part of what the book is about. <laughs> I still like that, actually. But um, you know how, like, when you're a kid, if somebody, if another kid is, like, six months older or younger, that's, like, a lot. Yeah. You know? So yeah. even though my sister was only six months older than me, it was like she lived in a totally different world and hung out with totally different kids in the neighborhood. Hmm. You know? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so, yeah. so you... Were you living abroad before you moved to Muncie? Well, we lived in uh, Reston, Virginia for a little while and then uh, for a short period of time. So, okay. Do you, do you remember any of the time that you lived in Peru or were you? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. Okay. So you lived in Peru, you moved to Virginia, then you hit Muncie and then off the air, you and I were talking, you ended up moving to Tucson and then from there to Philly. Um, uh, so did you? At this point, you've lived in three different places. Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do in life? Or no, no not yet. No, no. okay, Mm-mm. okay. No, I never did. No, I should never have gone, gone to college to be honest after out of high school mm-hmm. because I like I just never I knew I wanted to be a writer, but that's not really a thing 
you anybody can be a writer mm -hmm. i mean like if you're good at writing you can be a writer you don't have to like you can also have a paying profession <laughs> <laughs> zing <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um <laughs> Yeah, no, I did not have any aspirations like, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a such and such. Not okay. at all. None of that already. Okay. Uh, did you did you have any outlandish hopes or and dreams? So you didn't have like a, a practical vocational pursuit, like I want to be this when I grow up. But did you have any at that time dreams of, oh, I would love to do this in life or I really want to do this or whatever? Was there Was there any of that going on? I feel like I'm disappointing you. No. Um, I was a very um, feminine kid. Okay. Like my mom sent me to Cotillion where I used to learn how to do like the waltz and the foxtrot and like wearing white gloves and long dresses. My mom liked to dress me up because I was like the girly girl of the three mm. of us, you know. And so that was like my personality. I was also very small for my age where my older sister was very big for her age. Okay. So she was all about like climbing the biggest trees. And I literally, I, I wanted to do everything that she did, except that everything she did was terrifying <laughs> and also extremely difficult. Like literally I couldn't climb those trees. I was just too small of a child. Mm. If you saw pictures of us, it looks like I'm four and she's eight. Like wow. it looks like there's a huge age disparity between us. All right. You really looked up to your sister then? As a kid, mm -hmm. yes, she was everything that I wasn't. She was outgoing. She knew how to make friends. She had a best friend. And mm -hmm. the two of them were very mean to me and my other sister. But they clearly were really best friends. They're still friends to this day. Aww. And it was like amazing how somebody could have such a good friend. Mm -hmm. It was like, I want that. But that's a rare thing to have at any age. Okay. Okay. Sister. Do you have any um, friends from that age or do you have any, do you like, do you remember any neighborhood kids that you reconnected with since adulthood? No, not at that age. Not from that age. Okay. No. So when you're, when your folks decided to leave and purchase that, that cabinet making business in Tucson, um, your dad was still working for the canning company, right? It's not like he had lost his job and now he's like, oh, what do I do now? It was from here to there. No, he quit. Yeah, I mean, he okay, didn't so lose he quit. his job. It was like a conscious decision to like totally change our lifestyle. And, and later I found out mm -hmm. <laughs> from my uncle, my mm -hmm. dad's brother, that he knew he didn't, know anything about cabinet making when he bought that oh my gosh. <laughs> he just thought like he was so like i don't know my parents must have been so young at that age like it's an insane thing what he did but what i love is is the exact type, type of insane thing that i do on a regular basis mm -hmm. he was like he, he's gonna buy this cabinet making business from a guy who's gonna teach him how to make cabinets mm -hmm. and then he's gonna take it over and now that I, and what happened was in the long run, uh, making cabinets is a lot harder than he realized. It's mm. very difficult yeah. to find woodworking. It's not something you learn quickly. Yeah. And uh, but and the business ended up folding, which is why we ended up moving from Tucson in the end. 
but my dad never gave up cabinet making by the end of his life he was like such an unbelievable master carpenter oh wow it is incredibly artistic he made the things that he had tried to make back when i was 12. oh wow you know good for him yeah good for him all right i think i think i have some good stuff here to um to create a story for you what one more question what part of muncie i imagine like what neighborhood do you remember you lived in, in i don't well uh finlandia court was our street i don't know like it was semi-rural it was kind of an area that was being developed because okay. there was like kind of a neighborhood under construction nearby. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. I was a, such a little kid. I didn't know the parts of Muncie. Gotcha. Okay. But you remember uh, Finlandia Court. Yeah. In fact, I'll tell you uh, one last thing about Muncie that will give you an idea of where we lived. You drive through, there was like fields everywhere, like mm -hmm. soybean fields or whatever fields. Mm -hmm. And so we you had to drive through all these fields to get to our neighborhood so mm -hmm. i think it was kind of out there and in one of these fields there was this old dilapidated old house mm -hmm. like an abandoned old little house and i was fascinated by this old house and i was always like mom i want to go into that old house and see what's in there so one day she was like okay let's do it oh okay really she's like yeah so we go there. It was so creepy. We go there and it looked like people had just left it in a hurry a hundred years ago. There was like an old pot. There was like in the yard, there was like one of those water pump things, mm -hmm. like in an old fashioned house. And there was like a pot, just like rusted pot, just like sitting under the water pump. And then inside the house, there was like wallpaper that had been like peeling off and stuff. So creepy, like in a haunted house. And just like random just belongings lying around and then i walked upstairs and the upstairs was like an attic style upstairs mm -hmm. and this is the way i remember it. there were shoes all over the room just shoes everywhere probably there were three shoes and i remember it as a hundred shoes yeah. but I was so frightened by this. Oh, it was really? like the presence of people, you know? Mm. Why would there be so many shoes? I just ran out of the house in absolute terror. Why were those shoes there, mom? And she was like, well, probably homeless people have been staying there. Mm -hmm. You know, which we used to call hobos back then. Right. <laughs> it was like probably like when before this was like, cornfields or whatever like like when people used to come through here probably hobos would just stay in the house and maybe they would just like i don't know change their shoes or whatever hmm. like there probably weren't like the shoes belonging to the ghosts of the people that used to live in the house it was like other things have happened in that house since the people right. it, you know yeah. but it was so creepy hmm. i've always had such a vivid imagination <laughs> So I see something like that and I immediately start just imagining the creepiest possible scenarios. Hmm. Wow. That's great. Okay. That might show up in your story because that that is a <laughs> delicious a tidbit. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Did you ride a bike at all? Were you one of those kids? I yeah, mean, this... yeah, I rode a bike, yeah. Okay. 
had a bike. Had a bike. That's good to know. I like little. I like the the means of transportation, especially when when we're kids. Like some people ride skateboards. Other kids have bikes. Like one one person I talked to uh, used roller skates a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. I, it's it's fun to explore the different means of transportation for kids. But that being said, I think I think we're in a good spot, and I think I have enough information to kind of find you and put you in a story in Muncie. What if? You stayed. Mm-hmm. Cool beans. Excellent. So at this point of the show, what we'll do is we'll take a quick break. We'll listen to a little bit of music. And when we come back, we'll hear the story of other Ruby. And then we'll talk about it. Stick around.
Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that little musical break. Again, today I'm with Ruby Peru. If you would like to follow her on the social medias, please start at her website, rubyperu.com. It has a lot of the things that she has done. You can um, connect with her to get consultations, to maybe work with her. She's a ghostwriter. Um, also, if you'd like to follow her on the social medias, Instagram and Twitter, it is at Ruby Peru author. She has a Facebook like page, facebook.com slash Ruby Peru author. And you can also find her on LinkedIn as Ruby Peru, the author. Remember, the, the one you're looking for is the author. <laughs> In case there are others, the author. That's the one we're looking for. <laughs> Uh, so are you working on anything uh, right now? Yeah, lots of things. Oh, snap. Is there anything that you would like to mention right now that you're working on? Well, I'm rewriting a detective novel for a client right now. Ooh. It's really fun. I've been working on this for um, a number of months now because I didn't want to rush through it. It's kind of a new thing for me, but uh, I'm writing it to be kind of like a uh, like a Lee Child uh, detective thriller Ooh. kind of thing. And that was originally how he wanted to write it. But um, this happens a lot. People write their first draft and then they go, wow, this is not really ready for prime time. And I don't know how to get it there. So mm -hmm. you have a choice. You could try to get somebody to teach you how to be a better writer, which is difficult and time consuming. Mm -hmm. Or you can just hire somebody to take your first draft and just make it better. Gotcha. <laughs> And so that's what this client did. And so I've been having a lot of fun taking his plot line, his characters, and a little bit of his dialogue and writing it in a, sort of a typical uh, suspenseful detective thriller type style. So I've gotten into act three now. Ooh. And so I'm, the suspense is ramping up and we're getting to the big exciting twist at the end. Excellent. So Excellent. That's great. So do you do you find it to be more enjoyable for you to um, take people's like take the mush uh, that people hand you and then kind of turning it into a cake? Or is it more fun for you to sit down with them, break down the things that they're working on and help them to be a better writer? Because I, I know you also teach. So which which is more enjoyable for you? Uh I like to have a balance of both because um, it's more efficient to do this. Like you, like I'm able in the eight months that it, that I've been working on this, not every day, obviously, mm -hmm. but um, I, I don't think I would be able to teach him how to do what I'm doing. Okay. So it's more efficient to take that and turn it into this. And he's been very happy with all the pages I've sent him. Oh, right. Good. But at the same time, if I only had this kind of job, I would never interact with anyone ever. Mm. And that's a problem in my <laughs> line of work. So I right. like to have clients that I work with and counsel and gotcha. teach stuff to. A little bit of both is a good balance. Okay. Excellent. All righty. Cool beans. So are you ready for your story? Because here it comes. I'm more than ready. I'm excited. All right, here we go. This is the story of Other Ruby. <laughs> Pedaling furiously, Other Ruby pants in time with the down pedal of her right foot, violently huffing air in as she flies to the end of Finlandia Court. She screams in, it, in her mind to keep going, never slowing down. She's never made it beyond a few meters into the long grass where the road ends. If you slow down, Other Ruby, 
You'll never make it to the train tracks. Never. Keep going. Like an animated doll, her tiny frame works tirelessly to propel the bike forward and down the road. On her back is her school bag, taupe and scuffed from all the time she overpacked it with books and dropped it harshly on the floor as soon as she returned home. This bag never stayed there for long, however. Her mother was not one for a messy house. So the ruby? Peruvian. Is that where that bag goes? She would say from the other room, not even needing to see the bag on the floor by the front door to know it was there. I wasn't going to leave it there. Obviously, you don't like a messy house, so to my room it goes, Mother Ruby would respond. The game they played, the rehearsed banter, always put a smile on her mother's face, but she hid it well. She was the queen of the home, after all. The bag bounds up and down, nearly throwing little other Ruby off her bicycle several times as she approached the overgrown patch of grass protecting the homes from the railway vagabonds that may or may not have ever walked along the tracks. Other Ruby would never know for sure, but she remembers a day several weeks ago where a man, or woman for that matter, ambled slowly along while peering with dead eyes into her young soul. The figure stopped and flashed a devilish smile, but Other Ruby felt no fear and smiled back. They called out with words unrecognizable, but their farewell was clear as day. Look at me, they said. Look at me here on these tracks where the sidewalk ends. Free. Those words haunted little other Ruby. She wrote them on the inside of every book she read and circled them twice on the cover of her favorite book of poems. Approaching the grass, she closes her eyes and leans forward. Her legs never stop moving, and being too small to sit comfortably on the seat and ride along, she stands precariously mere inches from the crossbar. The crunch of the grass under her tires rings out. Don't stop now with a ruby, she cries aloud. I will be free, she continues. The grass reaches up from the ground and mingles with the spokes of her tires, pulling the bicycle and her to the earth. She fights with all the might her undersized frame could muster. Her fight is short-lived and she tumbles to the ground. Frustrated, she, yanks, she begins yanking handfuls of tall grass out by the root and flinging them overhead. Slowly, becoming covered in dirt, she yells in anger and disappointment. She stands with eyes that barely eclipse the top of the blades of grass between her and the adventure, and she eyes with longing through the thicket of trees before her the never-ending laid tracks. The ground begins to tremble, and she drops to a crouch, placing both hands on the earth before her. The song of a barreling train sings out in the rumblings of screaming steel and hissing. Defeated, Other Ruby pulls the tangled bicycle from the grass that hugs it so tightly and walks it back down the road home. Days, weeks, and months pass. Mom, Mother Ruby asks, do you remember that abandoned house that I really wanted to go inside? It scared me a lot, huh? I want to go back. Other Ruby's mother sits stoically at the kitchen table. Honey? No. It scared you a lot. I don't think you want to experience that again. No, Mom. I do. I was never strong enough to ride through the grass to the train tracks, interrupting her mother inquires, what did you just say? Nothing. You're not hearing me. I can't ride a bicycle in tall grass. I get that now. But I can explore all the abandoned buildings around here. So dad works for ball, right? Like they have a factory here, right? But they don't, they don't make glass there anymore. Okay. I just read in the newspaper about a wiener company that closed. It's empty. I want to go see it. In English, I'm doing an assignment about explorers. I could be an explorer. I could be free. Free? What are you even talking about, Other Ruby? How are you not free now? Is this a prison? Is my home a jail for you? Mom, come on, other Ruby responds. You, you know what I mean. I don't have a lot of friends. Even my sister doesn't want me to be her friend. And that's fine. 
All the best explorers did it by themselves. I read a lot. Like, a lot. Yes, child, you read a lot. I agree, her mother uh, responds in kind. Thanks. Look, I read a lot, yes, and I want to maybe add my own story. It starts with this assignment, and maybe I will keep exploring and doing papers about those things. Other Ruby's mother examines her daughter through suspicious eyes. This isn't about a boy, is it? You aren't trying to impress a neighbor boy, are you? Mom, come on. No, it's about me. Me. I want to be the center of my story. I don't feel like I am yet. Okay, baby. Fine. You want to go back to that house? Let's go back. But I don't know anything about a wiener business, so how about we just stick to the house? Satisfied, Other Ruby explains, Far out! I'll get my shoes! Other Rubes, it's dark. We will go on Saturday morning after you've done all your chores. We can talk to Dad about it before we go, too, okay? Her mother negotiates. Mom, don't aw mom me. We will go on Saturday after we talk to your daughter. Daughter? Father, Dad, you know what I mean. I swear it. You read one book and you think you know it all. Other Ruby's mom nudges her playfully and flashes an impish smile. One book? More like 100 books. A thousand? One million? Other Ruby laughs a villain's laugh and fills the house with slow ha-ha-has. The house where a human or some other sentient being would have melted. The house was silent most days. Other Ruby reads quietly in her room or out on the grass most often. Her older sister spends most of her time out with friends, and the baby tends to hang tightly to her mother's leg or play silently in her room. The weight of the dissatisfaction her father wore with life and Muncie rested on everyone's shoulders. There was not a lot of laughter there. There was today, and its warmth saturated the walls. Saturday morning. Other Ruby and her mother ready themselves for a trip to the abandoned house. Other Ruby confidently approaches her father who sits in his armchair and slowly eats his scrambled eggs. Dad? Mom and I are going to the abandoned house. I want to visit all the abandoned factories here in Muncie. There are a lot of them. I was scared last time, but this time, I'm ready. I have a flashlight and a candle if the batteries die, and matches and a sandwich and some water. Without looking up, her father slowly chews his spongy eggs, breathing in cool air to abate the heat resting on his tongue from the steamy meal. I don't know, Mother Ruby. Why do you want to go to that house again? What if there's someone there this time? I'll give them the sandwich. Mom will be right outside. I just want to write in my diary about it and use it for my school project. I think it'll be good. Please? He takes a deep breath and loudly breathes out his mouth. He looks her in the eyes and examines her determination. Her unwavering return gaze gives him a modicum of ease and he relents. Fine. Just be careful. Thanks, she shouts excitedly. I will. Let's go, Ma. She turns to head out the door, biting down on her lips to keep her thoughts nestled safely in her mind as she thinks to herself, wow, that was easier than I thought. Some time passes. Other Ruby steps out of the dilapidated Borg Warner plant. She stands at the rotted entrance beneath a crumbling archway. She looks at the head of the camera crew before her. Her bright red skirt suit matches her cherry lipstick. She pulls her glasses down and places them securely in her jacket pocket. She settles her nerves and takes in a breath. When you think of Muncie, she recites, you think of steel and glass and cars and other manufacturing. Well, time moves steadily, and if you pause for even a moment to admire where you are, to smell the roses, to take a breath, you will find yourself laboring to catch up. You cannot catch up. You can try, but in the end, it all ends up like this. The Borg Warner plant employed over 5,000 people at the height of its productivity now. It's just me. Come on in. 
and take a look at one of Muncie's forgotten on today's episode of The Empty. She turns and with a simple motion of her hand beckons the audience to come and heads into the dark and silent factory. The camera zooms in before fading to black and transitioning to the opening montage of abandoned buildings. The end. <laughs> I like how the end ends with the beginning. Mm -hmm. Cool. Very imaginative. Oh, thanks. It's <laughs> <laughs> interesting how you chose like, uh, I mean, we talked about a lot of things. So you chose to focus on the house, which is great because that was a very scenic story. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 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 So I looked up um, on the map, Finlandia Court, and the only thing I could find was just this little stretch of road that led to like, uh, I'm, and so now there are, uh, there's a house there and it looks like they, they take care of the house before the train tracks. But I imagine that wasn't there when you were there. So I have no knowledge of train tracks. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I, there's like probably there. I'm sure there's a lot of train tracks all over that part of the country, but I have no memory of them. Oh, shoot. Yeah. That's OK. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the at the end of the road, there's like a little grassy patch, some trees. And after the trees, there's a, a train track. Although, I mean, I live right next to a set of train tracks that. I don't know when the last time they were used. They're not used now. So I wonder if it's something similar to that where they, okay. yeah. So I, it was interesting also learning about Muncie's, all of their abandoned factories and such. I mean, more so that now than when you were a kid living there, but even then yeah. there were quite a few. Huh. That's interesting. I didn't know that either. Yeah. All I knew about was Ball Canning and also Ball State, the university. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a trip. The so Ball stopped making glass before you guys moved to Muncie. In yeah. Muncie. Like oh, yeah. yeah, they made it in Denver and stuff. I learned I learned a lot about the ball canning company. <laughs> <laughs> learned a lot. And I I gotta be honest, I never before like our conversation, I never connected the dots between Ball State and Ball canning company yeah yeah sure there's a connection there yeah and it never even crossed my mind and then i was like oh you idiot of course so <laughs> <laughs> you know it's funny because when when my dad worked for ball canning my mom was finding out about all these like you know they have all these different type of antique ball jars mm -hmm. you know some people collect antique ball jars yeah and um, my mom was like, oh, oh, she found out about this type of ball jar that they call the triple L Ooh. because because after the you know how it's written in like cursive mm -hmm. on in the glass, there's an L and then the, there's an L and then there's a sort of line that goes that sort of swoops back and goes under the word ball. Mm -hmm. And in some of the variations, the line kind of has a loop at the end, which makes it look like a third L. And that's like a very rare version of a ball jar. And my mom was like, oh, if you ever see one of those triple L ball jars, you have to buy it. They're very valuable. <laughs> so time goes by. I'm an adult. I see one of these triple L ball jars for sale in a, some, you know, old store. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have to buy it. They're so valuable. I'm really thinking about this. Mm -hmm. I call up my mom. Should I buy it? <laughs> She's like, well, how much is it? I'm like, they're only asking like $13. She's like 
oh that's too much i'm like what i thought it was worth like a million dollars she's like no they're worth like nine dollars instead of three dollars oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) wow the amount of enthusiasm she had for it at the time made me think it was like this amazing thing you could just like go to college on you know oh my goodness (laughs) oh my goodness you know what's funny is after spending time learning about Muncie and ball and all this jazz. Uh, it like threw me down this rabbit hole of watching Pawn stars and (laughs) just the idea of like, Oh, like the antiques of this and the collectability of this. And that got me in. And so I watched like hours of Pawn star episodes for (laughs) no reason. It doesn't, it didn't help me at all, (laughs) (laughs) but it was just a byproduct of looking up bowl state and wall canning company it's in and also like they don't even they don't do any kind of canning now they're into like making uh like machinery for computer parts and airplanes and stuff oh no kidding yeah yeah they have adapted they're really good at adapting with the times and staying on top of like there's been a lot of buying of corporations and changing this and changing that so they, they still own a lot of property too they just rent it out to other companies so interesting yeah clever clever yeah clever bunch of balls those guys. <laughs> good for them for adapting with the times i mean i remember when my dad was there he got into this sideline which i believe was part of ball canning where it was like prefab houses made out of these panels i do see them around sometimes hmm. Uh, that look like they're made out of pebbles like there's all these little pebbles Hmm. on each of these panels and it was like this really revolutionary new sustainable living modular house building system that he was involved with and every once in a while i'd be like oh there it is like when you go to some old town that's sort of like maybe built in the 70s or something right it, it looks like a building made out of panels covered in pebbles nice. <laughs> kind of weird <laughs> wow that's interesting yeah so those clever clever guys clever guys do you think that would have been ever something that you would have pursued like a like exploring abandoned stuff oh yeah i still do it oh do you oh yeah not only that i renovate like i'm renovating my house right now mm-hmm. like i'm obsessed with uh the the aesthetic of like antique antique buildings you know like what i'm doing with my house is actually it's a hundred year old house but i'm not trying to renovate it to look new i'm trying to renovate it to look like older okay you know like in a cool way sure so um i am fascinated by the look of exposed brick and the Mm. look of like you know what um there's this store oh what's it called um anthropology that kind of stole my aesthetic yeah they have this kind of like ripped up wallpaper look oh interesting talking about like at least where i live now the there's like the the desk and then behind it they have this kind of very very funky aesthetic on the wall that's like looks like all these different layers of ripped up wallpaper huh and I'm like, that looks really cool, but also you stole that out of my mind. <laughs> rude. That's so rude. <laughs> yes. I thought it was rude, too. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> anthropology. I'm familiar with anthropology. My wife is a huge fan of anthropology, so I'm, I'm pretty familiar. So I, I get it. I am also a huge fan of, like, the industrial look 
for like living spaces. I love the idea of lofts and I feel like those artist lofts that were very popularized in, you know, TV and cinema in the seventies and eighties. I I'm in love. Like if I could have exposed brick inside of my house, Oh man, I'm all about it. HVAC piping like up top. I'm I'm into it. I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're doing here. Nice. I have a friend who has an art studio in a building that used to be a dry cleaner. And you know how dry cleaners have that cool uh, machinery thing Mm -hmm. that like you hang all the clothes and then you like press a button and it goes. Yeah. It has that. Oh, does it function? Please tell me your friend uses it. No, I mean, the, he doesn't use it for anything, but it, um, I don't know if it's functional, but oh. it's just there. It's like attached to the ceiling. It's like, that's this, super like, cool. Super exotic, strange looking, like <laughs> contraption thing. You yeah. know, I love that stuff. Oh my goodness. I, I really wish that he would, uh, make use of it and turn it into like a roller coaster for his toys in my I head. Know. That's, Thank you. That's yes. exactly what I, I'm like, how can you not be obsessed with this? Serious. Oh my goodness. I would play with that <laughs> thing all the time. It would be ridiculous. <laughs> wow. That's pretty cool. That's pretty. So does he, so I know a few people that have converted like pretty large, um, artist spaces into, living spaces as well and just have moved in does he do that too or does he use it exclusively for like a workspace no it's just a, it's just an art space he, he's a fine artist and he just paints gotcha. there gotcha sorry <laughs> but yeah if i had that space i'd be like renovating it into like a multi-use space with all kinds of levels mm. and weird machinery and stuff. yeah oh man that's great. That's great. Cool beans. Cool beans. So, um, your, like, I, I don't remember us talking too much about like your mom's demeanor. I do remember you saying that she was the queen of the house. So I was intentional about throwing that in. Was I able to capture any of the way that you guys interacted or was my guess like way off? Well, your guess is pretty much way off. I mean, you have a very modern concept of parenting. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, our family is kind of old school. It wasn't like that sensitive, you know. Gotcha. It's just sort of like um, a lot of young people are like, oh, my mom is my best friend. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, that's not how it was in the 70s. Like, your parents are your parents. They order you around and you do what you told them. <laughs> Right. Okay. Your best friend. If you want a best friend, get busy finding one. Gotcha. (laughs) All right. All right. (laughs) So, but um, I can dig it. uh, Yeah, it was a good story. Anyway, yeah. Oh, right on. Thanks. I mean, I uh, it it never occurred to me at that time to like go and look for other abandoned buildings to explore. I'm not sure if my mom would have been on board with like taking it to the next level. Right. But um, I like how you like. You were like, here's how she would rationalize it, which that's probably pretty accurate. Yeah. You're like, oh, here's all the logical reasons. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like smart kids are always really good negotiators. Right. Like, especially people that spend a lot of time reading. They're like, OK, OK, OK. I got this. I got this. Here are the 10 reasons why you need to say <laughs> yes to this. Right. <laughs> right exactly. Yeah. So I just I just figured that's that's what they So, for example, my. My wife's niece, uh, at one point she wrote a letter to uh, my wife's grandfather just asking for something 
and he obliged. So now she has it in her head. If I write letters, then people will do it. So in the letter, she's like, she's got like this closer mentality, like, hey, I would love this. And here's how you can do it. I right. And she ends it with like, just tell me when we're going to do it. The end sort of thing. It's <laughs> like, whoa, all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you know, so I just, I just think it's, it's kind of funny that like, I, I just imagine that's what kids do. Yeah. You know, sure. do you have like fond memories when you're thinking back? Did it bring up any fond memories? Well, I mean, um, uh, in my memory, there's no factories or railroads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a lot of the things that you got from your research are not things that I remember at all. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is an interesting version of Muncie mm-hmm. that I have no memory of. You know, when you're a little kid, it's like your life is just like your school. And yeah. Your house, you know, yeah. so. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. So, man, I so I, the way that I can relate to that is. I know that my, like my childhood best friend up until like fourth grade, I know that I know that he lived really close to me. Right. And I know he was on a very specific street and I've been up and down the street and I have no idea where he lived. And I've like driven trying to find that, like the, the house where he lived. And I, I just can't, and I'm, I'm not at the place where I want to ask my parents like, Hey, do you remember exactly where this kid lived? Uh, because I'm like, no, I can find it. And like, we lived so close, but in my brain, it was always like an hour away. Yeah. But no, it was like literally. I'm sure the way it looked in your mind as a child is not what it looks like. Now. Right. Yeah. Smaller. It, yeah. No more than a mile. He lived like no more than a mile away from where I grew up. And so like, I'm like, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to find it. I will find yeah. it, you know, but yeah, just, just the way that I uh, remember things. It's pretty funny. I often think about going, you know, if I'm ever driving cross country or something, mm-hmm. I often think about like just swinging by the old house just to see, because I know my dad planted a lot of trees and stuff. And so it'd be cool to see what it looks like now. Oh, that would be you fun. Know? And there were trees that were like, I mean, I think I told you about the Buckeye tree. There was this like big tree that was like the center of the kid world yeah. where they had built forts up in that tree. Mm-hmm. I, but I, if, if they chopped down the Buckeye tree, I think I would be very upset (laughs) so i'm not sure i would want to know Mm. (laughs) oh man (sighs) so i'm just trying to think of um the 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 house that i grew up in we grew up with a like a like it had like this little square patch that maybe was a garden at some point uh but it had a tree on it for a long time and then my parents cut it down and I remember I go back I drive past the house that I grew up in every once in a while to see like what the new owners are doing to the place um and so like they've paved certain parts of the the yard so like we grew up on a very peculiar um plot of land so the way that the majority of the plots are it's a single plot uh and your house is on it and it goes long ways right sidewalk Mm -hmm. to the alley goes long ways ours was like a a plot and a half so we always had like this patch of grass that went down and so like they're slowly paving that whole patch of grass i'm guessing to give them like a massive massive driveway from the alley and back and then like i always get upset like no stop 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 it don't do that to my house don't how dare you you know (laughs) 
Like I, I, I'm still personally connected to a house that's not mine anymore for some reason. Sure. Of course you are. I mean, houses are so personal. I mean, do you remember as a kid moving into that house or any house? When you first move in, you're just like, look at this mysterious space. And then it becomes yours. Yeah. And yeah. And the, the, yeah, this house that we, that I grew up in. So <clears throat> it was a, my parents turned it into, cause they had an attic that you can only access through the outside, right? So you go out the back door, you climb up some steps and then you can enter the attic through that back door. It was a really stupid design for a house for some reason. I don't know why the, the attic was separated that way, but that's how it was. So my dad tore out a closet and built a staircase and then like furnished the attic. And that was like where most of the bedrooms were. Um, so I have like very vague memories. I was only four when we moved in. So I have vague memories of walking through this house and look at watching my dad and like ripping out pieces of the closet, you know, mm-hmm. and stuff. And so the way, like all the work that he did to it as it kind of finished and furnished it is like, Oh, okay. This is, this is our, house and i only have like one memory of the house we lived in before that so yeah there's like a a little bit of 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 that where i'm like establishing this identity in this building through Mm -hmm. you know some of the work that he's doing but it was yeah man and what's interesting is i was always eager to get out you know i I just want to move out i want to live on my own and live somewhere else you know, but now I'm like, oh, I really want to buy that house. <laughs> <laughs> I, want, yeah. I want to own that house that we don't live in anymore. Man, Did you ever think about like buying that old house that you grew up in, in any of them, in any of the places where you lived? Do you ever think about that? Well, I wouldn't want to live in Muncie, but I, um, uh, no, none of the old house, none of the houses that I grew up in were i'm going through them all in my mind were places that i would ever want to buy okay um they were mostly because after muncie we were like rich in muncie and then after that we went broke Mm. and we just lived in a series of horrible little hovels Mm. (laughs) so (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) okay okay man that must have been tough (laughs) I don't know if I remember if I mentioned this before my mom used to talk all about how they my parents were rich before they found Jesus Um, and so like they lived in this crazy extravagant house and the house we grew up in was not anywhere near that like we had between seven and and like nine people living depending on when because my parents like took in people um in one bathroom so yeah it was super fun we had to coordinate who takes showers at night and who takes showers in the morning you know so well it's amazing how how, what you can manage to you know yep deal with when it's just sort of like well this is a situation so let's get organized and make it work yeah (laughs) this is where we are so this is how it is yeah Oh man. Oh man. Yeah, but that's sort of um that tra- I mean that I think probably a lot of people have experienced that transition of being like, well, I mean, 
ideally in life, if you're poor, then the next phase is you get rich and you go up the socioeconomic ladder in life. But for some people, it's the opposite. Right. Because for whatever reason, you make a decision that either you you know it's going to make you more poor but happier or you know it's going to make you it's going to be a risk and for our family it was like okay we were we had my dad had like a corporate job in Muncie and then he decided to become an entrepreneur okay and that was a big risk and that led to our living in a series of hovels you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh you know you um as a kid you don't understand that like how terrible it is for adults to go my parents had money then I had money and then I threw it all away on this idea and now I'm like way below where my where I grew up and where way below where I was like socioeconomically and they're thinking about the future and retirement as a kid you're not thinking about that you're just living in the moment going "Hmm, how can I entertain myself am I gonna get a candy bar today you know (laughs) I was like so not the same thing as what adults are thinking about yeah what was your favorite candy bar as a kid Oh, I wasn't allowed candy at all. Oh, really? We did not eat candy. There was no favorite candy bar. But that's what that's what my memoir, Sleazy Peach, is partly about. The transition from when we moved from Muncie to Tucson. Okay. That summer, my my older sister and I went to live with a friend of my mom's in Tucson, and she ate junk food. And we had never, I had never had junk food before. Okay. We weren't allowed to have it. I mean, we'd had a little bit of Halloween candy that my mom would like pick through. She told us we were allergic to chocolate, which I'm pretty sure was a lie. Rude. And yeah. And um, like we weren't allowed sugar. Like she was like very, very into health food and raising us very healthy. Okay. It's not that I'd never had a glass of Kool-Aid before. You know, I'd been to summer camp and stuff. So, you know, you get things here and there. Mm-hmm. But like we didn't she did not buy junk food. We did not have it in the house. We were not allowed to eat it. You would get in big trouble if you did. Shoot. And it was a big problem too because in Muncie, like the kids were very mainstream and they had Twinkies in their lunch boxes. And I had literally sandwiches made out of homemade bread with sprouts in them. And the kids would like make fun of my lunches. And it was a big thing. Me eating different from the other children was one of the things that made me never fit in. Okay. And it was one of the things that made me know that I didn't belong there. No, for some reason, even though it was the seventies, like nobody else was into like sprouts and living off the land. Everybody else was into like Twinkies and bologna sandwiches, things that were basically like, if we had a religion, it was health food. And okay. people that ate Twinkies were the devil. <laughs> oh no! Basically, how my mom viewed it. You know? Dang. So the reason that this memoir is called Sleazy Peach is because when we went and lived with my mom's friend Linda, she drank high C peach, uh, high C peach drink, mm-hmm. like all the time. That was like just what you drank. Okay. And he called it Sleazy Peach. And uh-huh. I didn't know what it was. She just said, hey, you guys want some sleazy peach? And I was like, I don't know what that is, but I'll try it. <laughs> and it was, so deli- it was the first junk food I ever had. It was so delicious. I can just taste it right now in my mind. Oh. The, the taste of artificial peach flavor is my favorite taste <laughs> in the universe. I was like, oh, who has been holding this back from me? How, oh, my how dare you? <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> oh, and gosh. it was like... Yeah. 
you know, even though I had to encounter like tarantulas and all kinds of crazy stuff that you encounter in the desert that I'd never seen before, I got to like drink sleazy peach and it was the best thing ever. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I'm into that. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, adults are thinking about like, oh my God, all my retirement money and kids are going peach, peach drink mix. Yes. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh man. So if I was going to pick one treat from childhood, right? Cause I mean, there was like a little, um, corner store around the corner from us. And every now and again, my parents were really big into us saving. So they would give us like 15 cents as our allowance. Right. And we had to save like 10 cents of it. So I would go and try and save up like, all right. So after a few weeks, maybe I can go get like a little brownie or a, cinnamon roll or whatever i would i feel like the treat that i looked forward to the most was one of those moon pies wow yeah you are the devil (laughs) (laughs) i was i was (laughs) oh my goodness oh man right on excellent i hope this has been a very fun trip down nostalgia road yeah yeah Nostalgia road and also um, fictional nostalgia road. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Cool beans. Cool beans. So I think this is this is a good place for us to bring things together, bring it to a close. Um, my guest today has been Ruby Peru. Please visit her website, rubyperu.com. Uh, Sleazy Peach, when, when does that come out? Good question. I'm still looking for um, a publisher for it. I don't want to um, publish this through my imprint. Okay. Uh, ideally, I think that this is going to be my transition into uh, commercial publishing. Gotcha. So, but I'm hoping it'll be done around the end of the year, and I'm like uh, out actively looking for a, a publishing agent right now. Okay. So. Okay. Cool beans. Hopefully, you'll see it on short store shelves around the end of the year or so. Alrighty. Yeah. So look for Sleazy Peach whenever it's ready hopefully by the end of the year uh check out her on the social medias uh, at ruby peru author at ruby peru author instagram twitter her facebook like page look her up on linkedin if you want to connect hire her for stuff if she has time um otherwise check um follow the podcast on twitter other you uh podcast on instagram it's other you underscore podcast for ruby i am d and we out <laughs>